0: I'm Audrey Benjamins. I'll be leading you in the reading of scripture this morning. Please join me as we come to God in prayer. Our triune God and almighty Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this place and this space. We thank you, Lord, for your revelation through your word. We ask that you will open our minds and our hearts as we listen. Be with your servant, Pastor Chris, this morning, Lord, as he brings your message to us. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, found on page 1938 in your pew Bibles. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth bring their splendor into
1: it. No
0: one will its gates ever, sorry, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those
1: who Book of life the
0: river of life They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Sometimes we come here and our sermon or our message is one that's supposed to uh, inspire us and show us something new about Scripture and about our relationship with God. And sometimes when we come here, it's a, it's a proclamation message that's, that's really coming at our heart, trying to convict us of sin and, and turn us around in an act of repentance so that we begin to walk in God's ways again. And other days, days like today, are more like a a recalibration. It's a a resetting of our direction and and helping us to remember where we're headed. It's not so much saying you're way off course and you turn your back on God as it is saying, remember the end of the story? Remember the end of the story that we're headed to and that we're being called into and let's all look that way again that's what this sunday christ the king
1: calendar,
2: it's a it's a little different way of orienting ourselves or understanding how we go through life the church calendar culminates today with what we call christ the king sunday and it's meant to draw our attention again to the very end of the biblical story where Jesus Christ is seated on high with God the Father and everything in the world has been made right. It's the end of the story to which we're headed and in some sense, it's a day for us to recalibrate our compass, the compass of our hearts, the compass of our thoughts, and to point them again at this direction this end of the story, this end of of our lives that God is calling us toward. Your kingdom come. The Lord's Prayer as he taught us to pray, he, he teaches us this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a reorienting part of that that prayer
1: our hearts, our
2: desires, our minds, our direction towards God's kingdom and the coming of that kingdom in a fullness that we can scarcely imagine. We're going to step through the text that Audrey just read, and we're going to walk through it piece by piece this morning, something we don't often do. Normally, we, we hit a big, broad theme out of it, and today we're going to we're going to step through the different pieces of this text to see what this coming kingdom is like, what we're being drawn into as a way of calibrating our hearts. This quote from Jamie Smith may help us a little bit here. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come, what we're actually praying for is that our hearts would be aligned with God's heart, that our desires would be aligned with God's desires, that we would want the type of and the type of life helping us to say, okay, here's our bearing point. Here's our true north. It's lined up with the desires of God. This text does that in, I'm sure, more than five ways, but five ways that we'll briefly highlight this morning. The first part of the passage begins this way, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Now there's some images in here to help us understand. One, the city it's referring to is the new Jerusalem that has come down from heaven, and and really what what God says as that new city comes down is that God has made his dwelling with us, and we are dwelling with God. And so it's describing this new city, this new reality of God dwelling with us and us with God. And the language of the Lamb there is in reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is considered as a Lamb slain for our sins, but who has been resurrected from the dead. And so it's talking
1: about God being in our presence and.
2: Triune God. Just think about that for a because it's really a
1: separate temple or place of worship.
2: God's not contained in a little cornered off space of the culture or in different little spaces but there is a unity we think about what fills our news
1: we often
2: hear about wars and religious wars and the violence and hatred between religions and the the tension that comes up because of that going to come an end to that feeling of, of being separated from God. You may remember the psalmist in Psalm 42 cries out, where can I go and meet with God? It's that longing to meet with God that, that many of us have and, and we journey through life with these spaces where we go, I don't know where God is at anymore. In this description here of this coming kingdom that God desires is a place where God's going to be known by everyone and accessible to everyone and and people are going to recognize God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. People are going to know Him and have access to Him and no longer fight about our ideas about God because we will see God and know God fully. Paul hinted at this when he was talking about that love chapter in 1 Corinthians where he describes what love really is he says right now we only see in part but then we're going to fully know we're going to know God fully and, and know the world fully even as God fully knows us part of this coming kingdom is the joy of recognizing that there will be a day where we're not going to be separated from God anymore we'll see him will know him, and even the fights about God that happen in this world will come to an end. The passage continues, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. I think this is an amazing part of the coming kingdom of God. Most times when we think about a kingdom coming in our world, we think about some, some group of people who are, are trying to build an empire for themselves. And the way they build an empire for themselves is to wipe out everybody else. It's to destroy people who are not with them. And God's coming kingdom, what he's describing as a kingdom where there's still many other kingdoms that are all participating together. You see that? becomes a kingdom of mutuality where there's still nations and there's still kings around the world. There's still people groups and, and they all come together and they're, they're, there's a freedom to bring their splendor and contribute their splendor. Can you imagine for a moment an end to nationalism? An end to that saying, my kingdom's better than your kingdom? I mean, it might make it a little difficult in our family to figure out who we're supposed to cheer for around the Olympics. I'm American, the rest of my family likes to say they're Canadian. They are Canadian. And we have this back and forth when the Olympics come around about who we're cheering for, and we, we actually can gloat at the other one. Ha-ha, <laughs> Canada lost, ha-ha, <laughs> and that type of thing. It goes back and forth, and, and can you imagine a day where there actually is no nationalism there is no we're better than you there is no wars and fighting over boundaries and territory and and who's who's in charge and control but even more than that this passage points to a day where there's not any more economic hoarding one group of people grabbing all the resources they can and saying it's mine and not yours and now you're not getting it unless you pay me a lot of money no more of that. A world where the resources of the world are brought in freely and the splendor of the kingdoms are brought in joyfully and people share in order to cause each other to flourish. You imagine if the whole world had a common goal to see all of life flourish rather than just me and my own flourish. What if the whole world decided and desired that? That's part of the coming kingdom of God that all of the world will be in sync with the same common objective that all people will flourish and to a point that there's a celebration and a treasuring of our cultural diversities rather than saying "Ooh, they're different than me I don't know if I can trust them they eat different foods. I don't know if I want to go hang out with them. They, they smell different. They dress different. They speak different. And, and we tend to use those cultural differences to push each other away. And here in this coming kingdom of God, those cultural differences are treasured. They're valued. They're desired. They're celebrated. The glory and honor of all the nations, of the ethnos, the people groups of the world, will be celebrated brought into the kingdom of God, having a place. The passage continues. You get the growing sense of excitement that John's writing about, about this coming kingdom of of Christ. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. A kingdom of personal character. kingdom of personal character where there comes a day where there's an end to every desire, language, or action that degrades, diminishes, or destroys the well-being of another person. I you know some of you have paid attention to social media lately, and there's been a, a hashtag called Me where all sorts of women especially, but women and men, have talked about sexual abuse and violence that's been done to them. And then there's another another hashtag that's developed alongside of that called Church Too, where people have talked about how those abuses have happened even in the church. And this coming kingdom is saying there's gonna be a day where there will be no need for those hashtags anymore. Because people will treasure each other and honor each other and not take advantage of each other and not abuse each other, but there will be a day where there is hope and healing and integrity and honesty and the ability to trust one another. Can you imagine that? A day where there is restored trust between men and women, between people of all sorts of different walks of life, where we get rid of the, the isms that we have that divide us and we come to a place where we can look each other in the eye and trust each other and trust that the other person has our best interest in mind rather than thinking that they're trying to find a way to take advantage of us or harm us. Restore trust because everyone's desires and motives will overflow from the gratitude, that humble, joyous gratitude of being included in Jesus Christ will all be on equal footing in that kingdom because it will be those whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Not people who are there to make a name for themselves, but people who have been forgiven, who have received forgiveness in Jesus Christ, whose shame has been taken away, whose sorrow has been healed, who have been comforted and found peace in the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the coming kingdom. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. A kingdom of generosity with resources, notice all the natural garden imagery that 's in this section, all that that creation restored and flourishing. Think about it for a moment as the end to any misuse, abuse, or possessiveness of creational resources. I mean just think in our context in Canada, where we hear frequently about the damage being done by refineries and other attempts to extract resources out of the earth, the damage that's done to the water. And we hear about how the water continually gets polluted. We don't have to go far. We can go down to the bay. (laughs) And we encounter one of the more polluted places in our country. Imagine a day where the water is crystal clear, flowing from God's throne outward, and even more than that, it seems that that in this coming kingdom of God that there is such a harmony with creation and human flourishing, two things that seem at odds with each other quite often in the way our world goes about things. And in this coming kingdom of God, creation and human flourishing are so intertwined. The city and the garden are completely integrated. Instead of the city destroying Creation, the city becomes a habitat for creation itself to flourish. God's people and the city drawn together, no more restriction of ac- to access of resources. One of the things that catches me in here is on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Think about that phrase as, as one side of the train tracks or the other in our culture. One side of the train tracks typically has the resources and the other side doesn't. And in many nations and in many cities, one side of the river has the good resources and the wealth and the other side doesn't. We often use those as boundary markers to divide people and tear people apart based on economic class. And this is saying, actually, the tree of life is on both sides of the river. Everyone has access to God's bounty and the bounty of creation. And the last thing about this coming kingdom. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. It's a kingdom kingdom where we will reign with God. You know, the story of of Scripture begins with us trying to usurp God's kingdom, to take over God's kingdom, to take it for our own and possess it for ourselves, and all sorts of consequences fall from that a consequence where, where creation rebels against the work of our hands and resists us, where, where men and women are at odds with each other, where there's, there's pain and childbearing, where there's all sorts of brokenness in our own bodies. No longer will there be any curse. All those things that, that happen because of our sin will be undone. It will be the undoing of the consequences of our sin. Paul, talking to the Corinthians, says Jesus is even now at work putting every enemy under his feet, including the last enemy, death. Jesus is at work getting rid of those consequences of our sin. Every last one of them in this coming kingdom this direction we're headed is a place where those consequences don't define us anymore you may have said it before but my dad worked for a long time for an insurance company he was one of those guys who went out and appraised the damage to your vehicles and sometimes other property and i used to tell my dad you know when you get to heaven you'll be out of a job there's no more insurance claims agents We're at a place where those consequences of our sin and that brokenness is undone. We'll be content. It may not seem like a big statement, but if we take a few moments just to sit with that, we will be content to be God's servants. This may be one of the biggest miracles that God does in the coming kingdom. He works in our hearts to the point that we are content serving God. Not making a name for ourselves, not trying to show how great we are, but being content, being God's servants. And to the point that we get to know God face to face. Oh, to see God face to face. To know him face to face, to be so associated with him that, that his name gets written on our foreheads. I, I kind of picture that like that time when Moses came down after receiving the Ten Commandments and it says his face shone so brightly that they had to put a veil over it. We're going to be so full of God's presence that everybody around us will be able to see God clearly in us. I don't know about you, but that's going to take a lot of work in my heart. God's at work doing that, bringing us to a place that every desire and motive of ours is transformed so that when people look at us, they literally see God shining in us. So, what do we do with all this? C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mere Christianity about the need for us to keep paying attention to the end of the story. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. In other words, he's saying, Part of what looking at the end of the story is, that's part of our calling. To look forward to that day when God makes everything new. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who think most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so effective, ineffective, in this world. We lose our effectiveness in this world. We become lost and begin to wander and adopt the values and the desires and the hopes and dreams of the world around us when we lose our bearing for true north, that pointed direction where we are called to desire the coming kingdom of God. And so we are to be a people who are oriented continually to that direction I'm going to give us three things this morning to help point our compasses of our hearts and minds and lives in that direction. Because Jesus Christ is king and his kingdom is coming, we get to pray for the advent of Jesus' kingdom. It's a kingdom that's coming and as I read through that list of of things that are happening, we need to recognize we can't bring it about on our own. We can't make the kingdom of God happen on our own. It's something that we are called to pray for and to long for and to desire and to pray for. God, let your kingdom come. God, bring about that day when Jesus Christ returns. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we do that in two ways. We lament the relationships and situations where God's kingdom is not yet flourishing. Includes in us Us confessing our sins and saying, Lord, I lament that my life is still broken. But also, as we encounter the news and the brokenness in the world around us, we lament. Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And we celebrate. We celebrate the places where we witness and experience God's kingdom transforming our relationships and our world. That's part of why we've started doing these testimonies that Dustin did this morning and that we've heard others doing. It's helping us learn to recognize the ways that God is at work in our lives and his kingdom is already coming in and and among us. Number two, we get to spend ourselves freely in ways that line up with the character of Jesus' coming kingdom. We don't have to ask, is it right to love our neighbor? We already know it is. We don't have to ask, is it right to share resources? We already know it is because that's part of God's coming kingdom. We don't have to ask if it's right to to cultivate creation and cause creation to flourish. We already know it is because that's part of the coming kingdom that we're oriented to. As our desires get shaped by that coming kingdom of God, we gain clarity on the things that we ought to be involved in here and now and how we get to spend our time and energy and resources. And finally, we need to remind and encourage each other all the more as we see that day approaching. Scripture's clear that there will be suffering as that day comes. There will be brokenness in the world and that there will be brokenness in the world that resists the coming of God's kingdom. Satan and demonic forces and also things in us and in our systems and structures. And we're going to need each other to encourage each other all the more as that day comes. Not to try to do it on our own or make it on our own, but to remind each other, Jesus is coming. He's almost here. Take heart. Jesus is coming. He's almost here. Be of good courage. Jesus is coming. And he's almost here. Let's pray. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you did not leave the end of the story unwritten, but that you have already told us what is going to happen. And give us the courage to follow you faithfully today, to submit our lives to your kingdom and to your will that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Help us to desire what he desires, to to act in ways that he acted, to to spend ourselves freely and teach us to pray and to build each other up as we look forward to that coming day. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.